Welcome to the latest episode of the In Basin Observations podcast. Today we are, as usual, on the road in San Antonio, Texas, with the uh, team from Clearwell Dynamics. With us speaking as our guest is Roe Patterson, and then you've got John Daniel and, and Bill Austin here. Welcome to the podcast, Roe. Thank you. Thanks for having me. Thanks for joining us. And uh, just so all of our listeners know, we, we've stepped inside to cool off a little bit. We're outside cooking barbecue for you and your team, and hopefully no one gets food poisoning. I um, hope so. Yeah, so that hopefully that'll be a success. So let's just jump into you know the uh, the market right now. It's uh, rig counts off close to 100 rigs. Um, prospects are that the rig count moves a bit lower from here. What exactly are you seeing in your business today? It's softening. I mean, there's no doubt about it. We're seeing softening, and um, even in you know we started seeing uh, softening in the gas markets when when gas went below three dollars, uh, but but now we're seeing it. Okay. Uh, in the crude markets too, uh, so I think that this uh, you know head fake that crude has done below seventy a couple of different times has really uh, diminished the uh, uh, conviction mm-hmm. that we see on the customer side. You know, confidence in capital spending, and they're tapping the brakes. Right. And there's no there's no doubt about it. So we have and we have a mix of customers, right? We have we have privates uh, that are you know uh, very sensitive to crude pricing. Mm-hmm. As soon as they see any kind of softening, you know, they'll 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 take their foot off the gas, and then you have your uh, your middle majors who will uh, kind of one foot on the brake, one foot on the gas, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and they'll kind of off on off on through a, a a period like this where they're not confident about pricing, and then you see you know our majors who will make big swings, and they'll they'll absolutely shut a bunch of rigs down fast. Uh, hit the brakes hard mm-hmm. uh, to do the wait and see to see where crude prices are going to go um, and uh, rein in their capital spending. So we've got that mixed bag. Um, you know, we used to have a pretty good bench of of guys waiting in the wings, mm-hmm. hoping to get rig dates and rig availability. Uh, that's all kind of starting to dry up a little bit, right. and and now we're we're seeing you know uh, some softening in the market. Rates haven't moved yet. Right. But that's the next uh, uh, thing to fall. And we'll come back to pricing in a minute. The, um, but when, you, when the activity started to slow for you, safe to assume it was initially completion work, then production work? Or how did you see it? How did it develop? Well, I, so we're a, we do very little completion work. Okay. Well, even in a really busy completion market, only about 10% of our fleet will ever be on uh, completion work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the guys who do a lot more completion work, who I'm very close to and, and you know, a lot of friends in this right. industry, they, they definitely saw it fall off uh, okay. first. They were the first ones to see it. But we've even seen the production work drop some. So uh, okay. it's, it's affecting everybody across. And it's just a general lack of conviction. You know, I, I said earlier to you this morning when we were barbecuing that uh, I felt like uh, crude prices were just on the precipice of doing some crazy things. I think they're. I think if you look at all the the the, the dominoes about to fall in crude pricing, you know, a hundred dollars a barrel is just it could be right around the corner, but nobody believes it. Right. So, well, a little context, just because yeah. we don't know when we'll publish this. You know, we're June nineteenth here, so that's, that's a, right. Just, yeah. yeah. Just for us to think about that in terms of both the pricing environment that you're seeing, right? Right. And what we could see in the future. But That's right. is, and I want to come back to the, the rig rates in a, in a moment. But I mean, you're obviously you've got some very close relationships, friends in the EMP community. Yes. What are what exactly are they telling you? Do they give you any line of sight for when they might want to come back? They, they don't. Okay. Um, you know, uh, 
I would just say general lack of conviction. Some yeah. of them are partners in my company. You know, they're, right. they're in, they invested in Clearwell, sure. and uh, you know they just uh, they're going to stick to their uh, knitting. You know, right. they're going to do the capex that they had planned on doing, but they're not excited. They're not fired up. Uh, you know, they're they think things are going to be a little bit lower for longer, mm-hmm. okay. um, and I think they feel like twenty four is going to be a breakout year. Uh, for for a lot of things, right. uh, for M and A, for for crude pricing uh, across the board, but but and and to pick up more rigs, capital yeah. deployment, uh, but but as far as twenty three goes, uh, there's just a they're real generous. lethargy yeah. across the board. Well, as things slow down, obviously you know labor has been one of the biggest pinch points for the last couple of years. How are you handling that? So we kind of, <laughs> it's funny you ask that question. It's a great question. Is is about the time you get caught up with labor and you get uh, <laughs> crews trained up, you start laying rigs down and you start sending people to the house. Right. And that's what's happened. We right. really got a good, a great crew of, of folks uh, trained up and, uh, and, and excited and back into the industry. And about the time we did, we started to see softening. Yeah. So uh, it's unfortunate, but that's... It's the business. It yeah. is the business. But, but the challenge, of course, for your customers... Uh, is when it does snap back, right? You might not be ready to go. I, we can't, and, and, so and it explain, takes a lot of time to, to train up people and to you know invite people back into the industry or back to the business, um, and uh, you know inevitably we end up with some that come right back, but we all always end up with this gap of time and and, and people mm-hmm. where we have to train. Yes, and um, you know we just. It takes time, and it takes time to ramp up. So that spigot uh, is really—it's easy to turn off, really hard to turn back yeah. on. Okay. If you, uh, with respect to pricing, it's held up relatively well. I think the workover space has done much better than a lot of the other segments that are out there. I would agree. Part of that's because of consolidation, and we're going to touch on consolidation in a second. But um, you know, John Lindsay at Homer Campaign made a great comment on one of his earnings calls. He said, "What's the point of dropping rates? Ten, you know." Per, What's the point of dropping rates? The rigs are going to get laid down anyways. So I'm, my question for you is, and I'm paraphrasing, I might be off slightly, so I apologize if he's listening. Um, but the idea, you know, if all of a sudden you were to drop your rates 10%, 15%, does it do anything? No. I mean, the only thing it might do is keep you out for someone who's 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 got a, a competitor that's at the door, you know, knocking and saying, I'll, I'll work for you know, twenty dollars an hour or thirty dollars an hour cheaper right. than than your current provider, uh, and then they come to you and go, "Hey, can you can, can you match you, it? Can you match that?" And then yeah. you stay out instead of getting sent to the sure. house. So that's really all you've done, and that's probably what John's talking about. Yeah. You know, um, you know, uh, more than anything else. But at the end of the day, when people shut off capex, he's right. There's nothing you can do price wise to yeah. incentivize right. someone to get back out there. It's not your rig rate that that's that's. That's the right. problem. doing it. Right. It's a one or a zero. That's now. right. Yeah. But is it, I think it's safe to assume that there's probably going to be some pricing pressure in the back half of this year. There will be. And then yeah. we'll have to knock wages down uh, yeah. to try to, you know, keep our margins uh, in some kind of respectability. Sure. You know, the, the thing about service margins, and uh, and I, don't, I can't speak for the drilling and the frac side, but on the, on the service and, and on, on uh, you know, the production side, 
you know, our margins still haven't been that great. Right. Uh, you know, we really aren't at replacement cost kind of economics. Right. So uh, we haven't we haven't made enough money to build any new equipment. We we've, we've made enough money to kind of keep what we have going. Right. And to do refurbishments, and there's been enough money for that. Right. But no one's getting rich, and no one's building new equipment at at, at current margins or even, you know, previous margins uh, when things were a little better, say six months ago. Um, so what I would tell you is there's not a lot to give up, mm -hmm. uh, rate wise. So we, we have to be very careful. Right. Um, you know, uh, and. You know, it's been that way for quite some time, by right. the way. We've been about, about a 10-year 10 10 run here where we haven't had replacement cost economics. That is going to catch up with the industry at some point because uh, the startup time you just mentioned when mm -hmm. it comes to labor and things like that, reactivation time, it's going to get longer and longer because of the age of the equipment and the quality of the equipment, et cetera, and mm -hmm. because we haven't reinvested in it. Right. We, as an industry, we just haven't. Um, the customers are going to be the ones that pay the pay the price for that. Right. Our, our EMP friends are going to be the ones that look up and and uh, efficiency improvements just aren't there like they used to be. You made a comment earlier about some of the investors in Clearwell are tied to the EMP community. Correct. Um, you know, is, has this been an eye-opening experience for them to see kind of how beneath the sheets, like what really goes on at a well service company versus what they might have thought? I think so. I mean, they're 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 realistic guys and, and you know they they know the business well yeah. uh but i think this is always a you know anytime you're under the sheets and you're looking at these numbers and you're like wow i thought you guys made more money than this yeah. you know and you're like no this is no, this, this is yeah. this is what we make and uh you know it, it's a head scratcher you know uh, but i also think the guys that invested with me uh are just they're really good realists sure. you know they, they they know the business well they pay attention they ask good questions and they always have. Right. Even before they were investors in the service space, they, they asked good questions. Mm. And so they were pretty knowledgeable, yeah. I think, uh, eyes wide open. But I think when you see those EBITDA numbers at the end of the day, sometimes you're still like, that's great, but man, it's not that good. You know? I mean, and for all the risk, they thought that it would be well, better. Yeah, I mean, you guys bear a lot of risk out there. I mean, this is still one of the more, I don't use the word dangerous, it sounds bad, but it's more incidents happen in well servicing than a lot of other businesses. Well, you're and, closest to, um, the most sensitive uh, uh, parts of, a, of an oil field location. So the well bore is, is where all the action happens and our guys are right on top of it right. every day, all day. And so uh, that is where things happen. We also have work with heavy loads over our head. Uh, so uh, those that, that tends to create problems too. Yeah, okay. The, uh, I wanna touch on labor again because yeah. I, always, I always stop at Bucky's whenever I drive around. Mm -hmm. And you know, it was in Luling on the way here, and you know, starting wage there seventeen dollars an hour. It's pretty good. It's pretty good. How does that compare to the well service market today? Yeah, it's not far off. Uh, you know, we you know twenty twenty two right in there is kind of a a good starting wage. Yeah. Um, um, so you're just not far off. But when you when you say I'm going to work for seventeen eighteen dollars an hour at Bucky's in the AC in the all AC. day. Versus uh, 112 degrees on location and maybe hotter than that under your hard hat uh, for $20 an hour, it's a big difference. Right. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you ran a public company. You now run a private company. Yeah. Give us the pros and cons. Well, I run multiple private companies yeah. now, which is so much better than running one public company, I can tell you. Um, so public companies, the trap is the growth, growth, growth. You know, what have you done for me lately? You can have one good quarter. 
And as soon as that number is out, everyone wants to know what are you going to do next quarter. Right. And so the treadmill never ends. You're constantly, you know, trying to, uh, you know, you're the little dog trying to catch the car, mm-hmm. and uh, it just. It, it it's you you never please uh, the the investor space enough. Right. Um, uh, I would say privately we can please each other by distributing capital, mm-hmm. and that's what we do. We 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 when we make money we we hand it out. Right. We keep our debt really low, and the public uh, space the 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 drive for growth drives debt, mm-hmm. um, which is a trap. Right. Uh, you know, so uh, public companies, public service companies in particular, tend to get more levered than they should, right. and uh, it's a trap. Uh, so uh, I, I, I like the the pub the private space of distributing capital, keeping leverage low. I like not having to really tell anybody, you know, what we're doing month to month, quarter to quarter. We just go do what makes sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you're public, you have to wonder what the shareholder space is going to think of every move you make you right. know acquisitions become tougher divestitures become tougher yeah. because you're constantly worried you know who's going to second guess you and you know start shorting your stock because they didn't like your move well you guys obviously you had a great great timing and the purchase of clearwell we did the pioneer assets yeah. but going back to when you're running a public company because there is the pressure to grow ebitda and an easy way to grow ebitda is to do acquisitions Correct. And we're now starting to enter a period where M&A is heating up in the OFS space. Mm-hmm. What advice would you give to your peer group that's public looking to consolidate? What was your greatest lesson learned? So uh, I learned a lot of lessons. Um, cash is precious. I think people underestimate cash on their balance sheet uh, and how valuable it is. Um, uh, leverage is is really a negative thing Mm -hmm. um and whatever ratio you like you know three times two times whatever it's probably too high right you need to lower it (laughs) because it's a leverage margins go zero pretty fast yeah Yeah. margins can go negative Uh, and uh, that's the thing people forget uh so leverage becomes super important anytime you get a a a bad cycle uh so you need to keep leverage at a really low level um and then growing to grow is a really bad strategy. Mm-hmm. And I think that too many public companies uh, try to solve for that. They mm-hmm. try to grow to grow. Yeah. Um, you know, the, everything is about the tape. You know, what's, what, am I, what am I putting out? What's my next press release? What's my next uh, comment to the market? What about just uh, making money mm-hmm. and shoring up your balance sheet and doing a really, really good job of being, uh, you know, um, a, a good steward of the capital that you have? Mm-hmm. There's nothing wrong with that. Right. And maybe it doesn't make your stock pop, and maybe it is kind of boring, but sometimes boring stocks are the most valuable. Yeah. So I think that's the lesson that people uh, learn uh, probably too late sometimes running a public company is that, uh, you know, having low leverage, being kind of boring is not all bad. Yeah. Um, I, I, I will tell you, in my opinion, and it, it's an, it, 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 this is a free one, I don't think uh, small cap service companies have any business being public. Okay. I, I just don't. I think that they there's no reason. There's no benefit to it. The scale doesn't reward you. Mm-hmm. Uh, multi-basin exposure doesn't reward you. Right. Um, uh, shareholders could care less. The general market could care less. Right. Uh, you know, access to capital has not 
is it's not been something that's really panned well for uh, mid to micro cap uh, uh, companies in right. the service space. So why be public? What name one good reason? I mean, other than having you know giving your investors and your shareholders some access to liquidity, right. there really is no reason to be public. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I just I'm not a I just I think that that the, it's a trap when you get uh, you know on that treadmill of a public right. company treadmill. Well, no, and, and so you touched on this a little earlier, thinking about this, you know, okay, you know, on the upcycle or when, you know, your customers want everyone to expand and be ready, there's traditionally been new entrants to the market, whether it's Workover, whether it's Frack, whether it's Wireline. That doesn't seem to be happening nearly as much because, like you mentioned, access to capital. So, so it's gone right now. Right, it's gone. So what happens on this next turn? That you know, is, as as we all sit here, I mean, we obviously want to have a crystal ball, but that's so the that is the million question. dollar question. It's a great question, and it's one that everyone's asking right now. Uh, we're all asking it within the space, wondering what's going to happen. And then the, I I, say, I think generally some of the capital historical capital providers are actually watching and wondering too. Yep. Um, several of them have got burned. Um, trying to put capital to work mm-hmm. in our space. Some of them made some uh, pretty good windfalls, right. uh, but but most didn't. I would say, by and large, uh, hedge fund money and private equity money that, that entered the OFS space got 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 yeah. got hurt. Yep. Um, and, and to some extent, the, the upstream EMP group got hurt too. You know, uh, so not everybody won. Uh, there were there were definitely winners and losers, and there's a lot of stale assets out there, right? There's a lot of assets, uh, a lot of companies that are still in these PEs, uh, that uh, the the funds are ended. They're trying to end. They're trying to wrap up, and they just can't get rid of these things. Yeah. They're just like they're they're uh, they're really weights uh, to the fund, um, uh, and that's why you're seeing things traded two times. You know, um, we've seen two or three acquisitions lately traded two times. That's incredible. I mean, we're talking about cash flowing assets trading at two times. That's just that 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 shows you there's zero capital interested. The regional banks somewhat are, are still lending to the to this sector. The major uh, debt providers are not. There's no public debt to, to be had, and and the and the public capital markets are are, are also uh, turned their back on the sector. So where where's the next you know, source of capital come from. What I've seen so far is um, high net worth individuals and, and family offices, and they're coming to the sector like crazy. And so then you have to ask yourself, why? Why are they showing up? Well, this is the cheapest cash flow they can find. Mm-hmm. They look at everything out there, you know, family offices look at everything out there. And when you can go buy positive cash flow for two times, mm-hmm. why the hell wouldn't you look at it? And so that's the only source of new capital in my sector that I'm seeing today yeah. is is private offices. But if you were, let's say I gave you $100 million right now, mm-hmm. and you decided you wanted to go pick up several regional players, 10-rig type companies, would those, business, those owners are typically family-owned, right? Correct. They're not selling it two times. No. Okay. Uh, those aren't the guys I can pick off. Yeah, and and that's unfortunate because yeah, they're the ones I really want. Yeah, right. Uh, they usually have a great book of business. You know, they have great customer loyalty. You know, good crews, good people, good knowledge of the industry, etc. You don't have to retrain them when you buy them. Mm-hmm. No, I'm going to go pick off. You know, if I'm going to take your hundred million, I'm going to go spend it. I'm going to go buy the guys that are are the 
okay. the, kind of the dog's breakfast of, right. of, of service companies out there that are uh, assets mainly, not people. And there is positive cash flow to be had, yeah. but they're in these unsponsored right. spots. There is a sponsor, but the sponsor's lost interest, and they really, you know, not investing in the business anymore. Management's tired. Everybody kind of wants out. They're, everybody's ready to pull the ripcord. Those are the ones we would pick up yeah. right now. Yeah. And there's a there's a lot of them. But from a personal standpoint, it sounds like you run multiple companies now. Yes. You have a lot of hobbies, I presume. I do. Do you want the headaches of having to integrate a big business? No. Yeah. No. Uh, you know, I, and that's why growing to grow is just not on the yeah. not on the radar for Clearwell or Ventana or any of these other companies uh, because we 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 don't need any yeah. scale and we don't want it. Um, if we can find something that matches us really well and the multiple is really good and it doesn't have to be two times. I mean, yeah. I would pay three times sure. for yeah. a really good company. I would mind being paid more than that right. if I found a really good fit. But I want it to be a good fit. It has to be a cultural fit. It has to be an equipment fit. It has to be, you know, I don't want to go teach everybody the business again. I've tried that before. Um, you know, I ran a restructured company, basic restructured in 2016, and I had a brand new board of directors, and I tried to teach them the business, and uh, they were clowns. You know, it's right. just I couldn't teach anybody anything. Nobody wanted to listen. You know, they, everybody had their own initiative. They had their they were out to do certain things with, uh, you know. Uh, the public companies and they were going right. to mash everybody yeah. together and they were going to do all these things. And when I, when I said, no, that's really not what we should do. What we should do is, you know, build our cash and delever yeah. and, and do business this way. No one wanted to do it. And so I've, I've kind of been down that road. I'm done. I, I don't ever want to go back to having to try to teach somebody that yeah. part of the business. Getting people in Connecticut to run a business, well, service business. It's uh Right. Well, you know, I mean, I had people in Connecticut tell me that well, well servicing was going away. You know, yeah. well, yeah. why would we, why would we work over a well when all we have to do is drill a new one? Right. And you're like, well, you, you've completely missed the right. entire the dynamic point. of the industry, and right. you've missed everything that we do as a company. Um, and that makes absolutely no sense whatsoever. Yeah. And tr let me try to explain it to you. No one wants to hear yeah, that. You know, right. when they're sitting in Connecticut, they're just looking at the numbers and they're like, well, why, why wouldn't we just drill a new well? Why would we ever work one over? Right. Uh, so it, it was really a hard thing to, to do to teach people the industry. Um, you know, one of the greatest conversations I ever had as a public CEO was with a, a, an analyst who was brand new to, to, the, to the space, didn't want to be covering uh, energy service at all. He was an infrastructure guy, and yeah. he was mad that it got, you know, that it landed on him, and he had to take a one-on-one -on -one with me. Um, so he was disappointed from the, from, from the moment he stepped in front of me. And he was like, I don't understand, you know, you don't, you're not a driller, you're not a fracker, you know, what do you do? And I was like, well, we're a well-servicing company, you know, we kind of do the maintenance on everything. And he was like, well, I don't get it. And I was like, well, you know, have you ever hired a plumber? Like, yeah, my cousin's a plumber. He kills it. You know, I was like, well, we're the, we're the plumbers. Right. And, and he went right out and bought the stock. So, right. you know, it, you know, it, you know it, it took that kind of, uh, uh, you know, breakdown of the industry for him to catch on. But also it takes patience to deal with sell-side analysts sometimes. For and, sure. I know we had our headbutting every now and then. Yeah, we did. Yeah, I got yelled at a lot by you. Um, <laughs> okay, you mentioned something earlier, the stale assets. I mean, the, the U.S. well service industry is characterized by a lot of old equipment. Yeah, it's very old, yes. And a lot of it's not, in my opinion, I'm a, a nerdy finance guy that lives behind the Excel spreadsheet sometimes, but it's arguably not safe. But customers, again, it's always one that's, I've scratched my head. You just, do they not care? Why are they not asking the right questions? 
So we ask ourselves that a lot. Uh, you know, we have one of the newer fleets out there, and I don't, I don't have a rig running right now that's older than an 06. Right. Um, so uh, that's probably the newest fleet anywhere in yeah. the well servicing space wor worldwide. Mm -hmm. um, but people will still run 1980 model equipment, and, um, and customers will use it. Yeah. And there's two things I'll say. One is that that equipment was really well built when it was first constructed, sure. and so it was easy yeah. to refurbish. Um, uh, so it's lasted a long time, longer than anyone ever thought it would last. Mm -hmm. But that metal does fatigue, and things do get old, and they, and they do. It does create problems, and it is a safety issue. Right. Customers uh, are are becoming more and more um, uh, aware mm -hmm. uh, of the risk that that mm -hmm. poses for them, but they're. At the end of the day, the dollar drives everything. Yeah, yeah. And if they can get that equipment just one $1 an hour cheaper, sometimes they're going to put it to work, whether it's old or not. So you say, do they not care? I, I think they care, and they don't want incidents. But if you can run a 1980 model rig yeah. for them and not hurt anybody, they're willing to do it. So right? uh, someone once told me this, someone that I know pretty well. Uh, will they, the, the question always was, will they pay for it? And a, a newer rig, right? put something shiny and new in front of them, you're gonna get $5 more an hour for it. And usually the answer, or at least in the past, has been no. And that- And you're right. And they, and, and so I, and I think it, it depends on the customer. Right. Some will say, hey, I'm not gonna let that old piece of junk on my location. I don't want that out here. I want the newest, the greatest, the best technology and the best, you know, efficiency I can get. Um, but then you got another guy out there who's like, look, I don't care yeah. what it is, what color it is, or who's on it. As long as they can do the job, do it for this price, and not get anybody hurt, I'll run it. Yeah. Um, so it really is down to kind of customer by customer. But I, I, I think generally um, the market is becoming very, very aware to the age yeah. of the equipment. Yeah. I'm going to come back to that in a second. Your customers, you mentioned good customers. Uh, besides a customer that uses you regularly and pays you on time what what makes one a better customer versus the other who are the guys that are helping yeah. you become better so in the well servicing business it's all about continuity yeah. so it's the guys that work every day uh, the guys that have a, a, a full inventory of work to go do and they keep a rig busy over mm -hmm. and over and over every day those are the best customers okay. you know um obviously somebody that pays sure. pays on time <laughs> uh goes to the top of the list as far as good what I'll put in, in you know, right. in but that doesn't necessarily marks. make you better. Like, is anyone trying to push no, technology you, on you? Or? Believe it or not, continuity does drive. No, continuity, yes, but paying on time. But, but, right. well, no, yeah. but, but continuity does make you better. It okay. makes you more efficient. It makes it, it, it allows room for technological advancement. It allows you to do things, explore things, work outside the box because everything we try new, you know, you know, we're going to throw 18 darts at the wall. Only mm -hmm. one's going to stick, you know, and, and but if you've got a, a customer that's willing to sit there and and uh, explore new new methods and new practices and try new things with you over and over and over again on multiple wells, that's when you see efficiency improvements. That's when you see technological advancements. And those are the you know you talk about best customer, good customer. To me, that's that's yeah. the kind of customer that's going to run you know one or two or three rigs and do it every day. And we're going to go out there and, and try to make 
together try to be as good as we can sure yeah so hopefully that customer at the end of a quarter a month whatever it is will say hey this is what worked this is what didn't this is how we can get better together and, and you know good customers will ask you what worked for you what what you know what they'll ask your crew you mm-hmm. know what what what's working what's not working you know go right to that rig supervisor and and ask him you know what's working what's not working and, and get the feedback that's a customer that's probably going to be way more efficient and save a lot more money than anybody else right okay we've got a few more minutes because yep. we have to slice the brisket here that's <laughs> all right we got to pull the meat off the pit here in a few that's minutes my favorite part yeah well, yeah we'll go down and sample I, I do want to ask about going back to uh, the, the market here on insurance how what has been the experience the last several years getting underwriters to insure the business because we hear that it's harder and harder and harder to get insurance and then i'm just curious like knowing i would assume that if you looked at like say safety incidents that are not vehicular related like on the highway do you see a greater incident rate on the old old rigs and if so i'm just curious why you, like the you as a leader in the industry don't sit down and talk to the big insurance people and say you should never insure a rig that's you know built in 2000 or earlier i mean just <clears throat> i'm just make well i'm thinking. certainly not a guy to sit around and tell underwriters what they should and shouldn't cover but i mean and we that they don't ask me so okay. i don't i don't always talk tell them so but i but yeah i think underwriters do pay attention to it yeah. um the incident rate is higher on the older model right. rigs um there's no doubt about it um I will tell you that insurance, by and large, has become more difficult to attain, mm-hmm. uh, and there's two reasons for that. One is just a, a shrinkage of underwriters. You know, there's a lot of mm-hmm. consolidation yep. that's happened on the insurance side, uh, and so there's there's just there's only so many people out there providing coverage. The other the other thing is just tort reform uh, and the lack of it. Uh, we've seen some very heavy case cases uh, penalties handed down uh in 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 some cases where juries got really emotionally involved in in uh, sentencing and and uh, uh assessment of 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 some of the penalties and just the 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 numbers got off the chart uh, so i think that spooked some of the carriers out of the market mm-hmm. um uh where do i think it's going from here uh, insurance in my 28, 29 years in the industry has gone through cycles just mm-hmm. like uh, our, our business. So there's been times when, you know, I couldn't beat all the carriers off with a stick. You know, everybody and, and their dog was trying to get my insurance coverage. And then there's these times like now where, you know, you're 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 fighting for three or four bids. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, so I, I think it kind of comes and goes. Um, and the industry sort of has its uh, affinity for underwriters and then and then lack of affinity and so what we're we're in a we're in a we're in a dry spell right now uh, mm-hmm. where uh, we've sort of got the black mark on us as, right. as, as far as an industry they really want to put a lot of money behind or exposure to mm-hmm. uh, so um, I, I, but I think it'll come back around um, but we're a safer industry by far than we were ten years ago five years ago but we, you know you see the TR IR rates falling, down, yeah. uh, mm-hmm. and you can you can chalk that up to a hundred different things, but we're continually trained, we're continually getting better, we're continually improving our workforce, we're continually improving our relationships with our customers, you know, communication with our third-party contractors that are on location with us, and driving incident rates mm-hmm. down. 
Um, so I think that if we keep keep doing that, which we are, um, that's going to attract more insurance coverage back into the business. Okay. But you are right. We still have this huge underinvestment in equipment mm-hmm. acro- broadly across the, the, the entire industry, and that does drive incident rates. Right. And I think it's gonna, there's going to come a point where some of these older model rigs are going to be uninsurable. Yeah. Uh, by some carriers, okay. and we're we're real close to that, okay. and it's it's going to happen. Right. And uh, uh, I don't know I don't know what that'll do uh, to the segment. Uh, probably we'll see those rigs go where they needed to go, which is to the boneyard. Yeah, fair enough. We got. Uh, I said we have a few more minutes, but I, I, well, I got you. Crystal ball questions here. The rig count U.S. land per baker peaked at like 740 in Q4 of 22. Mm-hmm. Where do you see it? And just your gut. Where do you see it next year? 24, um, I think we probably touch something with starts with a seven. Yeah. I think we see that much of a resurgence. Okay. Let's say we touch 700. So we're not back to where we were in Q4. Is your pricing higher or lower than where you were in Q4? Because you have to start hiring again and bringing stuff out of the off the fence line. It'll yeah. be higher. It'll be higher. Yeah. Okay. And just, to, just pure inflation and, uh, you know, I, I hate to use the same uh, term that everyone beats up so bad with uh, – you know, supply chain, right? But it's real. Okay. You know, I've got valves uh, uh, on some of our rigs that, that I can't get manufactured in the United States. Right. Um, even though I have a U.S. OEM, I can't get that valve. Right. I have to wait on China to make it, and it's a real thing. And that cost on all of those kinds of parts keep keep going up, and the delay time is is, is keeps getting extended. So I definitely think you'll see a higher rate. Okay, Bill, anything? No, you kind of hit all of it. I'm just trying to think of anything else. The um, uh, last one for, for me, yeah. uh, M&A, we've seen, you know, Patterson just announced the merger of vehicles with next year. We've seen Profract do a number of deals on the frac side. Uh, there was a lot of consolidation during COVID 2020 in the well service space, but we haven't seen anything noticeable in mm-hmm. a couple of years. Mm-hmm. Do you think we'll see any type of transformative deal in the well service industry in the next 12 months? Um, I, no. Okay. Uh, because I don't think there's any drivers out there. There's no capital for it. Um, maybe two years down the road. Yeah. Um, I think someone, one of these bigger well-servicing companies is going to have to go public uh, to, so that there's more public, you know, right. uh, currency out yeah. there to do deals. Um, so right now it's private to private or it's a, a private accepting equity of another private, which is hard. always no, hard, uh, really tough to do. So I just don't see anything trading f- uh, for, for now. Multiples are low. There's not a lot of capital out there. Uh, it's sort of a weird, boring segment right now, yeah. but M&A is needed. I can yes, tell you that. Is. It's still fragmented. We still need it, but I don't see anything happening flashy in the next year or so. Okay. Great. Well, thank you very much for joining us on the podcast. Thank yeah. you for letting us come cook Absolutely. barbecue with your team. Anything else you want to add? No. Thank you guys for coming and for cooking for our folks. And um, I enjoyed the podcast and happy to do it again sometime. All right, bro. Thank you very much. All right. Thanks, bro.